This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, good evening, welcome and happy new year to all of our listeners from everybody here at No Name Ever. We are here for our first podcast of 2018, How Time Flies. And once again, we are back with a bang with a bumper edition because for the third time in recent times, Burnley have played two Premier League fixtures in one week and we have lots to talk about. First up is the away travel across the Pennines to Huddersfield before the Clarets entertained Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side at Turf Moor. Joining me this week, as ever, is our reliable panellist, James Bird. James, good evening. Good evening, Nari. <laughs> good evening, good evening. So let's not waste any time. Let's jump right in there and let's get on with this week's show, where we start at Huddersfield away, where Burnley went across the Pennines to draw nil-nil with newly promoted side Huddersfield. James, particularly the first half, this was exactly what we wanted it to be. It was a very dominant performance by the Clarets. Um, there's not an awful lot to talk about from this game, to be honest, so I think we'll probably be able to keep this relatively brief. Um, the only thing I guess I want to bring up straight away, and let's just dive straight in there, given the dominant first half performance, were we guilty really of not being ruthless enough in front of goal and not putting this game to bed before half time? I say it's one that you know you're going to look at and um, think we missed opportunities to 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 win. Um, I think if we'd been in a little bit of a different position points-wise so far, you know, looking at, at where we are now, um, if it, things were different, we could have been looking at that game at the end of the season. Maybe if we went down as you know two points that we we lost out on from not taking our chances, but obviously as it is, um, I think we could probably not not win again this season and uh, be pretty comfortable with uh, survival. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how your perspective changes depending on where your league position is in, at any one time. I think it certainly would have been a very stressful performance if we'd have had to go there desperately needing some points if we were in trouble in the league. But that's one of the wonderful things about being a Claret these days is that we don't actually have these things to worry about. We have to to basically stress about whether we're going to finish in the top six, not whether we're going to finish in the bottom six. But, you know, that, that said, it's, it's quite unlike this Burnley side to be, I guess, um, ill-disciplined. I don't know if that's necessarily the right word I want to look at for this game, but it's just more of a, a maybe a lacking in desire in, in the Huddersfield game. And I, I do worry whether Burnley are going to get a little bit complacent with the you know, more the games go on and more they cement their place in this league. Because let's be honest, we're not going to go down now, which is absolutely fantastic. But we did see it a little bit at the end of last season, where as soon as, as um, survival was secured, Burnley didn't win again for the rest of the season. So... 
I'm feeling pretty confident the Dyche won't let that happen to this side, but I guess you can forgive them for easing up a little bit and maybe not having the same level of urgency and desire um, and I guess maybe desperation to games that, that perhaps are there when you're in a relegation um, fight. Um I think Deitch was pretty clear at the end of the game, James. He did state that, that Burnley created plenty of chances and he was really, really pleased with that. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that all of them were very clear-cut chances. I think that some of them were maybe made a little bit more spectacular than they were by some very good skill from the players at the end of the ball. But again, I felt like we we left... Sorry, I felt like we were missing a little bit of a cutting edge up front do you, do you think that we look a completely different side when we don't have wood in that side? Or do you think do you think that the cover we have up front is enough? I don't know. I feel like we lose a little bit of, of I don't know, bite up front when Wood's injured. I think um, it's probably fair to say that, that Wood's uh, a bigger goal threat than, than Ashley Barnes is. And um, when he's on the pitch, you feel like we're more likely to score. Um, but we've seen Sam Vokes, obviously, he's, done well previously up front alone uh, you know first game of the season for example against Chelsea uh, you can't really complain about performances like that so I think there is the quality there uh, even with Wood out to, to still score goals but I think a lot of it comes down to the the service and maybe the, the other supporting cast we'll see one man in the box it's not a lot to aim at um, so you know you can be getting crosses in and if the defenders are alert to the danger then it can be difficult to pick out that one man. Um, so I think we need more really from uh, Hendrick in his position. Um, he should be getting up there and supporting the striker uh, and, and giving a few more options, I think. And that's really where we've been falling short is giving people options on, on who to pass to to get into scoring uh, positions. But um, I think that's been something all season. We, we've not scored enough goals. Um, but the, the way we've defended has meant that when we score, we make it count. Yeah, absolutely. We, we don't need to score three or four goals in a game, do we? Because most of the time, just a, a single goal is enough to, to see us the, get the points that we need. Um, an interesting little nugget to come out of the game, I guess, was the introduction of Naki Wells late on, who almost, almost got the three points for us with that that half chance right at the end. What what do you see him offering now, James? Because he's, he's clearly fit and he's clearly absolutely raring to go. We did see him again in, in the Liverpool game. Um but what, Joe, what do you think he's going to offer to this side? Because I've, I've got to admit, at the moment, I'm not entirely sure where he fits in the dynamic of the side. But I'm really interested to see what what plans Deitch has for him. Could you, do you, can you see where he fits? Do you know what he's going to bring? I think he, he brings a, a number of options. As we saw, uh, he came on on New Year's Day against Liverpool as well. He, he adds a bit of pace, I think, late in games. That can be, you know, an interesting... Uh, addition to the mix, you know, someone who can stretch the defence a little. Um, but as well for me, and I think I've said it maybe in the last two or three podcasts now, um, you know, with the way Hendricks' form's been, I'd be looking at maybe bringing Arfield into the middle and, and starting Wells out wide. Um, you know, it gives you a little bit of an option there that he, he can use his pace, he can cut inside and he can maybe take opportunities to score goals. Uh, he can maybe provide goal, uh, you know, provide for others to score as well. Uh, and it allows you to play our field in that, that number 10 role, which I think when he's played there early in the season, he's he's looked pretty decent, I think better than he's looked when he plays out wide. Um, and it gives you that opportunity to, to give Hendrick a little break that I think he, he might need because he's just not quite been, um, you know, the the player we need in that in that position, you know, sort of 
giving us above average performance. I think he's been quite quiet and while he's not been awful, he's not really made mistakes. He's not really been noticeable and Wells could help us out there and, you know, play wide and, and give us another option in the middle with uh, Arfield. Yeah, I think that's that's um, that's pretty good summary of, of where I guess our, our best chance is to play him. Um, that said, who out of the strikers that we've got out of Wood, Barnes and Vokes, who do you think he'd be most successful playing off, do you think? I kind of feel like I'd like to see him with Vokes, to be honest. I don't know why I feel like... I feel like Naki Wells is going to be more of a Danny Ings style player and, and the Ings and Vokes partnership was by far our most successful one in recent times. And I just, I don't know, I can see that kind of play um, really helping Vokes and him being able to take down chances and just lay it on for him. But what do you think? Who would you prefer to see him up front with? Um, I think he'd be possibly best with uh, Vokes. I think, you know, Vokes's uh, ability of uh, flicking on big, giving well something good to run on to. But at the same time, you know, he make a decent point. Barnes is great at controlling the ball. Uh, I think he can hold it up. And, you know, if Wells is running on, it gives him the option to lay it off for someone. So I think, you know, either of those two, uh, for me, could could really help uh, Wells play well coming in off the side. Or he could actually even play maybe in the 10 himself, um, just using to run on to, to ball some striker. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. It's going to be... It's a really fascinating one. I think... Uh, I'm not entirely, like I say, we weren't really that sure what plans Deitch had for him when he first signed him, but now he's starting to make some late substitute appearances. I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued to see where he goes with this. Um, obviously, the, the one talking point from the game on Saturday was, once again, another week, another game, another shocking penalty decision. Oh my God, James, I am going insane with the penalty problems in this league this season. What is going on? It's not even every single week. It feels like it's every single game at the moment. Over the festive period, there were four games and four controversial penalty decisions, two of which they were given were blatantly not penalties and two that weren't given, which were. I mean, and it's quite nice to see, actually, that um, Arsenal succumbed to one that wasn't a penalty, but you know, all of our listeners' sympathy levels will be quite low. But we saw it at United as well. You know, they, they had um, a blatant um, handball not given for them. But for us, the biggest one of the weekend, and I can't believe not more is being made of this, was the tackle by the the um, Huddersfield keeper on Jeff Hendrick. Oh my God, James, just talk me through it. Just talk us through it. I'm not really sure there's much to talk through. It's, you know, a clip, I don't know. Um, from what I've heard, it sounds like the referee uh, said to said to Hendrick that he, he thought he'd lost his footing. Um, rather than brought down, which is just astounding. Um, you know, he, he's, he's clearly brought down. And if you look at it, he's, um, he's already almost taken that next touch with his left foot. And, it's, it's going to be a tough angle, but I'd back him to, to score with the, the next touch. And, uh, you know, he's brought it down. Uh, I don't think there's any, you know, malicious intent from the keeper. It's just one of those mistimed challenges see keepers make. But normally, I mean, you know, we talk about penalties that you've seen given previously. I mean, you see those given 99 times out of 100. Um, so it's really disappointing that the referees missed it. And um, it, it's probably cost us you know the game I think if we score there it's a, a different game and we, we probably go on and comfortably win Oh yeah we absolutely do I mean how many times have we seen it when Burnley take the lead and they um, completely shut up shop and they, you know they defend so well and that's where most of our 
um, three points have come from this season from us being able to get our um, necks in front to start off with. I just, I, I find this decision by the referee just bizarre. Bizarre in the fact that he clearly saw it and, and thinks that Hendrick just lost his footing. So yeah, there's, there's a really good reason for that ref. Like the keeper took his footing away from him and, and it's like you said, James, Hendrick's got absolutely no reason to go down there because he's through on goal. It's literally a tap-in. There is nobody there to stop the ball. He doesn't have to go past another defender. The, the line is right in front of him and he just needs to tap the ball over the, over the line. So he's just got no reason to go down. And it's just it's just unbelievable. It really is. And listeners, you'll you'll share my pain, I'm sure you do, but it just feels like week in, week out, all we're talking about on this podcast is, is wrong penalty decisions. And... You know, Deitch says to us a lot that he believes that these things will even themselves out throughout the course of the season, but it just hasn't for us yet. We've been on the back end of some really soft penalties where we have it um, completely schooled to us by pundits and commentators and the likes after a game that, that you know, a minimal amount of contact is a, is a, is a nailed-on penalty. Well, how, how can Jeff Hendricks, you know, foul on him not be a penalty? It just... Oh, drives me insane. So for me, I genuinely feel like whilst we did have a very dominant first half display, um, we definitely were, were robbed out of those three points there and it would have been a really valuable return because it would have put us on four points instead of two um, for for the festive period, which given the four fixtures that we had would have been a, a pretty decent return. So I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm, I just feel like I've had enough. I just feel like at the moment, that referees don't actually know what a, what's a penalty and what's not a penalty anymore. And it just feels like we're just making it up week in, week out. So that's uh, that's my soapbox again, listeners. And I think regular listeners will probably just want to fast forward that bit because you've heard it every single week for the past six or seven weeks, me going on a rant about referees and penalties and just the shocking decisions that are being made. But let's move on. Um, I'm not going to dwell on the Huddersfield game, listeners, just because it was a nil-nil draw. It wasn't a particularly eventful game I don't think um I think we I think we played very well in the first half I don't think we've created the same magic in the second half but the guys did all right and it was still another clean sheet at um a side away from home so let's park that one as a very good away point and let's move on to yesterday's fixture which was Liverpool at home now this was a really tough one to take um it wasn't again the best of games for very different reasons but the Clarets faced a Liverpool side that were without some key players it was a very um different side to the one that we usually see from Jurgen Klopp and actually it was a very subdued side once again it wasn't a classic um I don't think either side um played particularly um exciting fluid attacking football and I think for me James that surprised me more than anything in that we faced a Liverpool side that came to Turf Moor with unbelievably negative tactics. They didn't surge forward. They didn't create anything. They did a Burnley on us. They did to us what we do on every single, um, to every single side who comes to Turf Moor. Now, that's surely a massive compliment to Burnley, isn't it? The size like Liverpool have to come to Turf Moor and play that style of football and just essentially just try and play for a draw. Yeah, I think I was really disappointed with the way um, Liverpool played, actually. Um, you know, there's some good players in the team, even with, uh, you know, the guys they had out. Um, and, you know, once they went 1-0 up, the the time-wasting tactics that were there on display um, is certainly the worst I've seen a, a big side, uh, you know, come to the turf and do, you know, to be to be time-wasting for, you know, pretty much the whole second half, to me, um, was a bit of a surprise. Uh, and obviously it nearly, 
nearly cost them um, when we got the equaliser. But in the end, the you know the the thing is, in the last minute of added time, that's all due to their time wasting. They've managed to win the game, so in the end, it's still managed to work in their favour, which I think is just makes it even more of a gut punch for us that we um, you know lost the game so late on. I think it is a compliment that, you know, a big side like Liverpool have come to the turf and have gone 1-0 up and, and look comfortable to to just hold on to 1-0 and not look for more goals. Um, I think that says a lot about how we play and how teams find it maybe difficult to break us down, that they're accepting that maybe the best they can get on the day is 1-0 and it's best to try and limit us and, and, and keep it as it is. That's the one positive to look at it from the way they decide to play is that it is showing us an incredible amount of respect and, uh, you know, shows that they're, certainly taken seriously the results we've gotten this season. Yeah, it is. I guess what worries me a little bit about this tactic is that we are probably going to see most teams play like that against us for the rest of the season now because our early season form has been um, not found out because I don't think it's particularly groundbreaking, but I think now players have seen enough, sorry, teams have seen enough of us now this first half of the season to understand Deitch's blueprint this season for how to win games and, and of trying to find ways to counterbalance that. What worries me, I think, and I've said this on previous podcasts before, is I feel like we have two contrasting sides with this current Burnley side. We have the very disciplined, very focused, very meticulous defensive side that has seen us get all the points from the season we have so far and is quite rightly winning all the praises of all the fans and all the pundits um, and limits um, teams to, to chances and then basically tries to, to get one or two goals on the attack. And that side is is just incredible and it, it's just a joy to watch. However, I'm not entirely convinced yet that we have as strong a tactical game in the situations where Burnley go behind first. And I think we saw it again on Saturday. I think up until the point that Liverpool scored, we saw both sides just playing the same game of football and were essentially just cancelling each other out. And it was it actually had nil-nil written all over it, did that game. And it was quite kind of dull to watch, to be honest. But the minute that Liverpool scored you saw a shift in the balance of the team and they just don't look to me as disciplined and as organised as they are when when they're either level or ahead. Um, James, do you think that's been a little unfair or can you see that when you watch these performances? Because I've seen it a few times now. Um, And actually, even when we went level, we didn't really get back that um, discipline that we had at nil-nil when it was 1-1. It just feel like we go a little bit all over the place. Spurs especially, it was very obvious. I think it's a difficult one to judge on the Liverpool game. Um, you know, it was really tough conditions again. Uh, we said this against Stoke, but the, you know the weather was awful. Um, and I think as soon as uh, we equalised, Liverpool wanted to go on and get a winner. They, they still wanted to win the game, um, and, and I think the game just opened up a little bit. So when that happens, it it's hard to say that maybe we've lost our structure. I think it's just the way the game went. Um, you know, you can argue that we should be trying to get the game back under control in our favour, but it, it's a difficult one. And ultimately, I think both teams wanted to try and win the game. And as a result, the game's got a little bit more open. And then, you know, I think the the, the goal is a really disappointing one. Um it doesn't come from open play, so I think the you know the way we're playing in general doesn't really come into it. I think 
Bardsley's beaten by his, his man at the back post. He's, he's just not as quick to to follow the ball in, and ultimately he's beaten to the ball. And that doesn't normally happen for Burnley. It's not normal for us to to lose those sort of battles late in the game. Um, so I think from that point of view, it's very disappointing. I don't know whether it's maybe a little bit of mental fatigue, uh, you know, getting late in a, a game where the conditions are tough, and um, you know you're in the 94th minute, and you know you're just not quite alert to the danger the same as you are um, early on but I'm not sure that the mentality changed maybe the same as it did against Spurs I thought against Spurs we just weren't at the races at all um, just wasn't our day we, we didn't look like um, you know we had an answer to, to Harry Kane whereas I think for you know the most of the Liverpool game including later on defensively we looked sound we looked like we're you know as impenetrable as we always do it's taken a you know a wonder strike from uh, Sané for the, the first goal that's a you know a sensational turn and shot and there's not much anyone can do about it and the only thing you could maybe say is oh we're unlucky that Ben Mee wasn't quite in the position to block it but it's not, some, not something you can fault Ben Mee for you know he I don't think anyone can expect him to turn and hit it like that and, and position themselves in a way to block it. Um, but obviously, yeah, the free kick at the end, it's a little bit disappointing. I don't know if it's just down to a little bit of mental fatigue or maybe a little bit of what we saw a lot last season creeping in where we just seem to take our foot off the gas at the, mm. the end of halves. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've seen it a few times, haven't we, this season where um, in injury time, both in the first half and at the end of the game, we've been stung, haven't we? Um, let's stick on the defence then, James, because you've raised a few points there that I wanted to talk about anyway. So let's expand on those because I want to concentrate on the defence for a little while. Um, predominantly because I think for both of the Liverpool goals, we were uncharacteristically quite poor in defence. I'm not entirely sure I share your perhaps uh, praise of of the first goal. I think the defence could have done a little bit better. I think leaving him so much space across that box to find um, the room and the time to to place it as well as he did does need to be looked at. But yeah, you're right. It was a fantastic strike. But looking at this defence that we've got at the moment, James, so Bosley's continues to keep his place and continues to keep Matt Lawton out of the side. Taylor's playing well enough in, in, in cover for, for Ward, but we'll come on to that in a minute. And actually, despite a bit of a shocker f- against Spurs, I thought Long had some really good performances against both um, Huddersfield and United. Now, taking that makeshift back 4-5 and the fluidity that we've got in, in the defence at the moment, Matt Lawton, to me, I'm going to start with him, is a real quandary. I'm don't understand why he's being left out of the side. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And I'm not entirely sure that Barsley is offering enough going forward. I feel that Matt Lawton's maybe more confident going forward and plays better one-touch football with both Goodmanson and Defoe. Where do you sit on the Barsley-Lawton quandary, James? I don't think it'd be a surprise to anyone to know that I'm a you know, a big, big Lawton fan. I think anyone who's listened to the podcast in, in the past knows that I, you know, I, I like him quite a lot. I like the way he plays. Um, for me, I was surprised to not see him come straight back in when he returned from injury. Uh, you know, Barsley had played well, but it, it's tended to be the case where I think where we've got a player who's um, clearly a better option, he, he does tend to get back in when it was an injury-related reason he went out of the side. Um but Bosley continues to play well from there. I think you know he deserves to keep his spot. But for me, um, I think after you know, potentially being slightly at fault for the the winner 
uh, on New Year's Day. I think it'd be time for, for Lawton to come back into the side next game. Um, I think we've missed uh, the, the interplay you get between Lawton and uh, yeah. Goodmanson down the right-hand <laughs> side. I, I don't think Bards is quite as... No, he doesn't um, right. I'm trying to think what the right word, dynamic... Um, coming yeah. forward, you know, he, he can cross, he can cross, there's certainly, you know, nothing you'd say he's not an awful crosser, um, they, they're pretty steady getting to the, into the middle of the box, and I know something that people criticised Lilton for previously is the inconsistency of crossing, yeah. but I think Lilton's just like a little bit more mobile, he's going to get down the line a little bit better, um, and you'll maybe get more advanced and, and get into a better position to put those crosses in to start with, and yeah. um, for me, I'd be bringing him back in, um, I think, I think there's going to be a little bit of rotation anyway come Saturday because obviously it's a cup game. So yeah, there's going to be a few right. few changes. So I think if Orton comes back in for the cup game and, and you know, does, does well, well. Yeah. I, I think that'll... Uh, Prompt him to keep hope, his players. Yeah, yeah. hopefully mean that he keeps his players for the next new game. Um, I completely agree with you, James. I think it always, it does take something quite... Uh, it takes either an injury or an absolute catastrophic error, doesn't it, for um, for Dyche to change his side and to to misplace his loyalty in his in, in his squad. Um, I'm not suggesting for one minute that I thought it was a complete catastrophic error for the second goal, but yeah, Barsley should have done much better for that second goal. Um, so I yeah, I, I really do hope we see Matt Lawton on on Saturday at, uh, at City and see where that takes it. Um, so moving away from from the right back position, let's get back into the centre halves. And it came as no surprise to anybody to see James Tarkovsky back in the side with his very jazzy matching um, arm bandage for his broken hand, which I did see, which I thought was splendidly coordinated by the marketing team. I have to say, it had a nice, it matched his shorts perfectly. But I digress from the, the, the matter in hand. Um, it was no surprise to see him, was it, James? And actually. Um, I I thought he played very well. I thought he brought that class back into the side that we've been used to seeing. So I guess where I'm looking at this now with, with Tarkovsky is where do we now put Kevin Long, given that he's had a three-game run in the side, two of which he played quite well and did put in quite competent performances, um, and one where he had, unfortunately, a bit of a shocker. Do we place him in the well, yes, he's good enough to be a replacement for either Tarka or Ben Mee, or are we at the position where he's just not grown enough to be a good enough second-in-command to this side, given just how well this Burnley side's performing? I think it's really uh, tough to say, to be honest. Um, obviously, at the tail end of last season, we saw bits of Tarka and, and Long together, and I think... Yeah, they looked mainly solid, but I wouldn't have said there was anything there in Tarky's performances made you think he was going to come out and play the way he has done this season. Um, so I think it's a, a bit tough to judge sometimes on just one or two games. I think Long's had decent games and he's also had some less decent games. Um, I wouldn't say he was awful against Spurs. Uh, I think the, the team as a whole would be low. Um, the, you know, the average performance they've set so far this season. So... He wasn't necessarily to blame for any of the goals. But at the same time, he he didn't do anything, obviously, that could have uh, swung the game in our favour. But then I thought he was, you know, very steady at Manchester United. I thought he had a really good game. Um, so it's one of those ones, it's just really difficult to, to really judge. I think you'd have to see a more extended run in the side to to really get a proper feel for it. Uh, but obviously that's not going to happen as long as Tarkovsky is able to play. And I thought Tarkovsky came in, 
did the job you expected of him. Um, looked really good uh, alongside Ben Mee. And I think the two of them together are just such a good pair. Um, to be honest, I think it'll be a travesty if that they don't both uh, get picked for England's World Cup squad. I, I, personally, if I was yeah, England manager, <laughs> I'd, I'd be playing them both together. I would too. Oh, I um, would too. I agree. And that's not just you know, Burnley fan bias, I think. They've both played really good. If you look at the defence as a unit, um, you know, what we've done over the course of the season, um, I think it could really help England out. And it, it, they deal with one of those problems that people always say about World Cup squads, that they don't get together for long enough. Um, there's not that familiarity between players. So I think if you can come in with a, you know, a ready-made centre-half partnership, um, it, it takes a lot of that needing to get to know each other time out of it. Um so I think it's difficult. Um, I'd rather not talk about having like a replacement for Tarkovsky lined up because hopefully we'll, uh, you know, we won't be losing him or me anytime soon, and <laughs> we won't need to see Longer's first choice. But I think if it came to it, um, you know, the way Dash has got the system working, I think Long would be um, adequate to, to step into the side. Obviously, really? the, wow. the concern is beyond that. Yeah. Um, that there's there's nothing else in 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 the pipeline um, yeah. at centre half. Um, whereas Long's been learning the system, and it, it's the way Dash as the players play that you know it doesn't really matter who the individual personnel are. Um, you know we we play to a system, and anyone who comes in can can do the job required. And I think for the most part Long's done that. Um, you know th- there's been the odd performance has maybe not been quite as good but it's to be expected when he's he's got so little experience really in the grand scheme of things yeah. um so little football in him um yeah, it so would take tough. a while for him to warm up you're right it is really really tough to consider i mean for me i think i agree with with pretty much most of what you said there james i think long has is playing the system very well and he's shown that he's ready and you know he has got that that graft about him he just lacks that class that I think we've maybe been spoilt with, with having um, a few seasons with Michael Keane and Ben Mee and now with Tarkovsky next to Ben Mee as well. When you take Tarkovsky out of the system and you put, you know, you get what you get with Ben Mee. Ben Mee's, I'm a massive Ben Mee fan. Um, but then you put Long and Mee together, you're just missing that extra bit, bit of class that we've been used to seeing at the, in the back five. And I think that that's the bit that worries me and it's it's just being able to step up for that moment of brilliance or that bit of skill that just gets us out of trouble and we've you know we've been used to seeing that so I, I'm not convinced and, and I don't want to jump down on the lad because you know he's obviously been incredibly hard working to, to deputise as much as he has but I feel like the team has naturally progressed better than Kevin Long now and it just it, we are demanding a better class of excellence from our players and and this may very well be down to personal skill or it may very well be down to his unfortunate position where he's not had the game time to develop this but I just feel like he's lacking behind and he's a bit too far behind the curve now um, and that the team's just progressed a little bit better than he is. Um, Again, sticking with the defence then, James, we've got a couple more obviously positions just to, to briefly touch on. Um, one of the, the real stories to come out from the fan perspective at um, the Boxing Day trip to United was um, Tom Heaton, who decided not to sit in the players' lounge and not to sit on the bench, but basically got his civvies on and came and sat in the middle of the stand, in the middle of all the Burnley fans, can't have watched much of the game because he spent the entire time signing endless programs, endless shirts, selfies with fans, chatting to the fans, and essentially just being the all-round incredibly great guy that he is. That said, 
he has a problem. He has a great big problem in that Nick Pope is playing exceptionally well. James, I'm going to put you on the spot. What does Deitch do when Heaton becomes fit? Does he drop Pope or does Heaton walk straight back in? You can't drop Pope, to be honest. Uh, you know, the way he's been playing, the number of clean sheets he's had, um, it's just not possible. Um, it's difficult because obviously he's the, you're talking about the club captain um, and a player who's, you know, until he got injured, was he getting in the England squad and, you know, people were calling for him to be, uh, you know, England's number one going towards the World Cup. It's incredibly difficult and I, I don't envy uh, Dash at all for being in the position. And, um, you know, I think in the, the short term, uh, Heaton would definitely accept that, you know, you can't drop Pope the, the form he's in. Um, but obviously long term, Heaton's a, a number one. Uh, he's going to expect first team football. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to to keep both players happy, considering that the, you know the respective uh, times they've had in their recent runs in the squad. So it's going to be difficult to 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 deal with long term. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it really is. I would go as far as to say that I think this is going to be the trickiest decision that Darch is going to face at his time in Burnley when Heaton gets fit. Um, so one final point then on the defence, and let's not dwell too much on this because hopefully it's just a one-off. James, you've already touched on it. The, the defending for the second goal was hugely disappointing, um, both in terms of how we normally defend and also how much we usually, and how actually how much of a habit we've got into maintaining our disciplined right to the final whistle. Are we just chalking this off as a one-off or... Do we are we starting to see that maybe our second choice defence isn't quite as robust as our first choice? Um, I don't know. I think you know the, the two centre halves are playing the first choice again now. Um, Bars is in the side as first choice effectively at the moment. Um, you know, long term, obviously, I think. Lawton's seen as our first choice right back, but uh, Barsley's played himself into the side. He, he's you know he's not there because uh, Lawton's not available anymore. He's there because uh, he, he's earned his place on merit. Um, and I think Taylor's you know playing playing pretty good uh, football. I, I'm I'm pretty impressed with with what I've seen from him. I think defensively, Ward's still the better option, um, and probably will come come back in as soon as yeah. available. Can I just uh, but long get term. to expand on that, James, actually, just very quickly. D- for, for me, do you think that, that Charlie Tell offers enough going forward? Considering he came to us with a reputation as being a very attacking um, fullback, I, he's, he, especially against Liverpool, he was very, very defensive. He'd, the only time he got forward pretty much resulted in our goal. I, I'd, I'm not entirely sure that he's as, he's as comfortable going forward as Ward is. I think what his case of is, you know, he's obviously just stepped up to the Premier League. He's trying to make sure he he does his primary job uh, first, which is defending. Um, you know, and he, when he's confident that he can defend in the Premier League, then obviously he's going to be able to to push on from that and and do more work on um, the the attacking side of his game. So I think he, you know, he is good enough going forward um, we've just maybe not seen as much as we will do long term to start with because he's conscious that um, you know primarily he's a defender and he's got to defend and, and that's what he's focusing on in his game yeah you're probably right actually it's uh, it's one of those where I guess we, we start getting impatient as fans don't we and we want to we want to see them coming on and, and creating everything as soon as they get into the side Um 
the other the other talking points then I guess from the um Liverpool game was a reaction, I guess, to Sean Deitch's substitutes. Do you think they were too little, too late? Well, do you think they were A, the right substitutes, and B, do you think he could have made them earlier? Essentially, Deitch went back into his um, default position of waiting until the goal had gone um, against us before he made the changes. Um, I'm not entirely sure I think that's a problem, to be honest. I've seen a lot of fans on social media quite critical of Deitch for leaving his substitutions way too late and not being proactive. But I think it's such a difficult balance for Deitch, isn't it? Because... A home point against a side like Liverpool's is a really good point and he doesn't want to do something. And sorry, up to the point that they scored their goal, we were absolutely matching them on the park and we were limiting their choices to hardly anything. But then on the flip side of that, should we maybe have have seen an opportunity here to go ahead and try and go for all three points when it was becoming clearer and clearer that Liverpool were also playing for a point? I'm not entirely sure Deitch can maybe be criticised. I think he's got to make one decision either way. And I'm not really sure there's a right or wrong decision there, is there, James? I'm not sure. Obviously, it's been a long-term thing with Deitch that I think people have thought that generally is... um, Subs tend to come too late in the game. Um, but on this occasion, I'm trying to remember you know, what time in the game he did it. It, it was late on. It was So Sam Vokes came on at about 70th, 71st minute and Naki Wells didn't come on until the 83rd minute. So they would do two really yeah. late substitutions. Wells is maybe late, but I'd say Vokes, that's actually... It's pretty standard. Pretty standard for Dash. Um, you know, around seventy minutes, he doesn't really like to make changes before that. Uh, and a lot of managers don't, to be honest. Um, I'd say you know, sixty minutes is probably considered an early sub. Maybe um, I'd say that's reasonably early. You know, earlier than the average first sub. So seventy is probably a, about normally the average. Maybe you know, twenty minutes to come on, change the game. I, I'm surprised, you know, that he brought on Welsh so late because maybe it's hard to to really have a a big impact with just 10 minutes to go when you're looking for someone to to come on and use the pace but it's difficult because obviously you're judging it off what's a a normal dash sub and I think dash tends to be 75, 80 85 minute mark uh, for his subs he doesn't really like to change the team too much and it is something I think he's gradually um, started to do a little bit more is make it slightly earlier substitutions Maybe Volk should have come on a bit earlier. I think Hendrick wasn't really offering a lot, uh, to be honest. And I was glad to see it was Hendrick that came off. So from that that point of view, I think he he did make the the correct substitutions because um, previously we've seen him take De Four off um, and, and drop Hendrick back uh, and bring another striker on. Which for me, I think De is a player that you've you've got to keep on the pitch as long as he's he's fit enough to play the game. Um, so I, I definitely took it as a positive to see that DeForce stayed on and it was Hendrick that made way. Um, but from that, apart from that, I think it's pretty much par for the course from, from Dash to see, uh, you know, subs at that sort of stage of the game. Okay, well, let's let's stick with Hendrick then since you raised it, James, because I'm, I've got a real dilemma with Jeff Hendrick at the moment and... He is a player that's coming under a lot of stick at the moment from from fans and from media alike for being pretty much a passenger in games. Now, for me, 
I actually thought that he had one of the strongest first half performances that we've seen in a while from him. Um, I thought he was much improved. Second half, he did completely vanish again. So it came as no surprise that he came off and it was the right substitution, James. I agree with you. But is this is this Hendrick's fault? I mean, I'm I'm told that Jeff Hendrick does have the ability and the skill set to play that number ten role, but I don't think he does because he, he's not doing it. And it's not it's not just a dip in form. It's been week after week that he's just been in no man's land linking the midfield to um, a lone striker. And it's just I feel I really feel for the guy. I feel like there's nothing he can do. But what what do you do? What what's the what? How do we resolve the the Jeff Hendrick problem? Um, for me, I think it either needs a spell out of the side or um, you maybe give him a game. I think with the FA Cup coming up, this is maybe the, the perfect opportunity to try this. I'd be interested to see Defoe playing uh, where Hendrick's been playing, Hendrick playing where Defoe's been playing. Um, I, I know Defoe and Coke together has been fantastic, but for me, Coke's a, a good enough player that really... Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter who's next to him. He's still going to play a similar sort of game. And actually, I thought he had a, maybe a little bit of an off game for him against Liverpool. Uh, so he'll be looking to bounce back. But I think Defoe is the, you know, if you look at the players we've got, he's the player who really screams to me number 10. Um, you know, given an opportunity to, to hit the ball a little bit more, um, you know, work a little bit of that magic he's got but also still in, in a position to, to pass the ball around and influence playing that way. Um, but I can see that Dash should probably be pretty hesitant to do that, the way he's played next to Cork. And I think he likes what he's been offering. Um, I think everyone likes what he's been offering. I think you could get more out of him, playing him a little bit further forward, but um, it's not really the Dash way to, to fix something that's not broken in terms of DeFore's game. Uh, so for me, I'd probably want to see Dash take Hendrick out of the side for a game or two and, and try our field again in the in the middle um, and play Wells out wide. Yeah, I quite liked our field in that middle role. I think it was um, he was doing really well, wasn't it, in the early part of the season when he was having to cover there. Um, one final point then on the Liverpool game, um, despite obviously the, the gut-wrenching goal to concede in the dying minutes. The the goal from Goodmanson was superb, wasn't it? I mean, how much... We're huge fans at none and ever, but how, how great is that lad playing this season? He's been really good. And I think, um, you know, really key key aspect to it has been that he was injured so often last season and he's managed to stay fit this year. And I don't know how much that's to do with, um, you know, maybe extra work he's done in... Uh, in pre-season or you know anything like that but I think he's you know he's obviously kept himself fit uh, he's grown into the team I think the start, start of the season was maybe a, a little bit of a slow start um, from him but the last two months perhaps I think you've seen someone who's really confident on the ball um, you know he's looking to beat his man um in the Premier League, it's not always easy to beat the full-backs. There's quite a, you know, a few good full-backs, but he's tried to take anyone he's played against on. Um, his crossing's been really good. Uh, he's looked dangerous when he shoots. Um, and then I think the goal against Liverpool, he's shown something there that we've maybe not seen from him before. Um, if you were to say someone's going to head a goal for us, you probably wouldn't be putting Goodmanson too far up your list of 
predictions of who it would be. Um, it was great to see him having the awareness to you know to be running and following the ball in because uh, quite often you'd maybe see that that go and you'd see the ball go wide uh, with Burnley playing nowhere near it. Um, obviously, I think Vokes probably is going for goal rather than looking to flick it on. But the fact that Goodmanson's chasing in, he's probably maybe more looking for the, the rebound off the keeper than anything. But he's there, he's aware, um, he's unmarked and he gets his head on it and, and you know gets it on the target. And from that distance, all you need to do is get it on the target. So it's, it's a great run. And I think that's, you know, like I said, an aspect of the game we've maybe not seen from him uh, previously. But uh, to add a goal like that, uh, not a scrappy one, but one that you maybe wouldn't expect from him. It's not yeah. a, a clean strike or, you know, one where he's found the bottom corner, just having got one-on-one with the keeper. It, it's good to see. And uh, it's those sort of goals that are key for teams like us, where we maybe don't score yeah. too many. Um, you know, ones where players have shown uh, a willingness to, just to follow something up that might might be worth nothing. I mean, you know, nine times out of ten, he probably makes that run and Volks heads it on target and the keeper saves or, you know, Volks maybe scores yeah. or Volks heads over and, you know, Gummins has made that run for nothing. But that one time, it, it, it turns out that the ball falls in that direction. Um, it's great to see someone there to take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. And if there was one player on that pitch on Saturday, sorry, on, on New Year's Day, it was going to be good months and I thought he was terrific. I think the Trafor got the man of the match and I think it was a very close one, but but it could easily have been good months. And I, I just I, I just love this lad this season. I think he's giving absolutely everything to the cause and, and what a fantastic steal he's been. Um, so we're going to finish this week's podcast with a end-of-year review, which is... Uh, basically what we all tend to do at the end of a new year, don't we? We analyse what happened in, uh, in the last year and what our hopes are for the, the coming year. So we said to look to the second half of 2017 and we asked you guys on social media this week um, the following questions. We wanted to know how we performed over the festive fixtures, where you think we need to strengthen in January and where you think we'll finish this season. And just a couple of the reactions that we got from our followers. Chris Horner said that we got what we expected over the Christmas. Um, we do need a wide player, a centre-back and a proper number 10. He thinks we're going to finish ninth or 10th. My goodness, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, Mikey Watson said we played average, which is harsh market but okay um he thinks that we need to spend out wide um a center half and a number 10 again consistent and he also thinks we're going to finish ninth um adam Priestley thinks that we finished okay sorry that we played okay we need up front and attacking midfield to buy and we're going to finish between seventh and tenth um i'm not going to read all of these out guys because there is quite a lot um friend of the show mike landers he said that he thought we performed to par three of the best four clubs plus huddersfield so not easy fixtures um we need to strengthen on the wing and the attacking midfield Hendrick just not performing so I think we know where Mike um, sits there and he thinks we're also going to finish ninth he can see Leicester and Everton overtaking us but that's still about five or seven places better than we expected Um, so James I'm going to put those three questions to us two now just to summarise where we thought we were at the end of of 2017 Um, so first first up how well we performed over the festive fixtures to me, I think we're only a point lower than what we could realistically expect. To have to face Spurs, United and Liverpool. Whilst we are looking at being competitive in those games now, the chances are you probably won't win those games. Um, that said, away at Huddersfield, I thought it was a perfect opportunity for us to go, especially considering our away form, and get three points. So if I was being realistic for the festive period, I was looking at us getting three points out of a possible 12. We did get two, so we're only a point behind. Um 
summarise for us, James, how well did you think we performed over the festive fixtures and did we get more, less or on par points that you expected? We got less than obviously I predicted um, on the on the podcast. But what I'd say is if you actually look at the way we played in two of those games, um, or in fact, three of those games, we, we got less than we deserved out of it. Um, I think obviously at Man United, we were very unlucky to, to not win. And, you know, you look at the potential third goal from Vokes that I don't think was offside. Um, the fact that before they won that free kick, I think Vokes was fouled and it should, it should have been free kick to us rather than them. Um, so, and then obviously Huddersfield not getting the penalty. I think there you could easily see that maybe we, you could make a case that we deserved all three points at Old Trafford. Uh, you can make the case that we, we should have got three points at uh the John Smith Stadium, and we should have got a point against Liverpool. So, I think in that that respect, maybe we we got less than we deserved uh, based on our performance. But obviously, at the end of the day, goals win games, and and sometimes these, you know, these bits of bad luck with refereeing decisions, you know, don't go your way. And I think you just have to accept that. So for me, I, I thought we performed. Um, you know, with the exception of the Spurs game, I thought we were pretty decent across uh, all the games at Christmas. Um, and we can maybe feel a little bit aggrieved by what we came out out with. But on the other side, if you'd said beginning of the season, we'd get those points over the Christmas period. I think we'd be pretty happy considering there's, you know, three big teams in there. There's only really Huddersfield that you would have said that's a game we'd, we'd like to, to definitely see us win. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say pretty... Performance-wise, uh, above par. Uh, Results-wise, um, I'd say par because you probably would have expected us to get the three points from Huddersfield um, and and nothing from the other three. So to get three draws, you know, it's the same as getting the yeah. the, the win against Huddersfield. Fine. So turning to where we think we need to strengthen in January, I think we need a minimum of three players. I think we need. Um, centre-half cover um, and the reasons I've set out in this podcast. I think we need a replacement for Robbie Brady and I think we should be buying um, a winger. I don't think we should be looking in the loan market. And I think that we do need something more different up front. I think we need a plan B um, just because I think our first choice strategy works really, really well. But as I've said earlier in this podcast, I'm not entirely convinced with Burnley's ability to turn a game when we've gone behind or whether we need to, to create a bit of magic. And I don't think that our current forward line offer a good enough difference I think if the, it's a like for like substitution when they put them in so that's what I need um James where where do you where do you buy I think most people are probably saying the same stuff you know we need a, a centre-back we need a centre-back before the season started and I don't think it's through lack of trying that we didn't end up with one they just what we needed wasn't out there or wasn't available um yeah we need to bring someone in to play on the wing um if there's someone out there to buy then yeah, by all, all means, buy. Uh, if not, see what see what's available uh, on loan. I think it's going to be difficult to get someone in on loan who, who really brings what you want. Um, the only option potentially, and I know this is popular with some people, I'm personally not a big one for, for bringing former players back. I'd say Jack Cote was the exception on, on that front. Um, but, you know, some people would say maybe bring Danny Ings in on loan. Um, he could probably play out wide for you. I've seen that uh, a lot, Offer something actually. a bit different. Yeah, there's a lot of fans um, 
offer along the same lines of what I've been saying you could get from Naki Wells, really. Um, you know, just a bit of pace down the, uh, down the wing, uh, cut inside and, and maybe score some goals. Uh, and then I'd like to see us try and bring in uh, a, a real number 10 and then uh, drop Hendrick to the bench as, as backup for, for Cork and DeFore uh, and have someone playing off the striker there who can um, really offer what we want, a bit of creativity, a goal threat, um, someone who can have a, a major impact on games. Um, I don't really like putting you know names to potential needs uh, and I'm not really sure who'd be the best fit there but if Dash could you know pull off the sort of moves he has pulled off previously and, and bring someone in who is maybe a little bit of a, a diamond in the rough um, it could potentially as well as being beneficial this season I think you know we've seen with DeFore it, it's maybe the second season that's key for players that Dash brings in and doesn't have a full pre-season with so uh, be interesting but for me those are the three positions I'd be looking at centre half on the wing uh, and the, the number 10, uh, as we call it these days, um, <laughs> which is probably someone who could also cover uh, central midfield as well, but uh, primarily be looking for more that attacking central midfielder rather than uh, someone in the same mould as, uh, say, Cork. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Okay, well, final question that we posed to our um, listeners and our fans on, on social media was where you thought Burnley were going to finish this season and just incredulously everybody had us in the top 10 and this is just an in, just an, it's just an amazing time to be following Burnley at the moment to, to, to consider that we are actually legitimately talking about Burnley Football Club finishing in the top 10 of the Premier League is just absolutely fantastic and you know we analyse these games week in week out and sometimes we really get in there in the nitty gritty and, and sometimes can maybe come across as too overcritical but that's because we do have a show to produce and we do have you know discussion points for the full hour but I don't think any of us here at None and Ever or any of us at Turf Moor can really just speak any higher of what Dutch has done this season and the fact that we're talking um, as much as we are about a top 10 finish is fantastic. My prediction um, I think Everton are going to finish seventh. I think they were always going to finish seventh. I know there was a lot said about their start to the season, but I just I still think they're going to be a top seven side. And for me, I feel like Leicester are looking very, very strong. So I feel like they will just pip um, eighth. So my prediction is I think Burnley will finish best of the rest. And I think we'll finish ninth, which is just fantastic. James, give us your prediction. I think you're very confident for, for Everton there. I think Everton fans are like not heard about a listener who uh, you're trying to impress with Everton talk, are you? No, 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 not at all. It's my no. genuine view, my genuine view. I feel like this is going to be a legacy for, for Allardyce. I don't know why I've felt it since they appointed him, but let's see. Um, I don't know. I think they've still been a little bit inconsistent. Um, I think it all depends on, on what we managed to do in January and how injuries and suspensions play out. I think there's no reason we can't finish seventh. Um, you know where we are now we, we've still got quite a comfortable cushion over Everton and if we can start picking up a few wins again and stringing a few together then you know there's every every reason to believe we could finish where we are right now um, I think it, a lot depends where we can start scoring more goals um, you know goals really is what's holding us back at the moment um, you know out of the, the top 10 Everton are the closest side for having scored uh, as few as we have. We scored 19, they've scored 25. Uh, and that's the team that people are talking about not getting enough goals. Sam Aldas has come out and said how, you know, he's definitely looking for a striker in, in January because he's not getting enough goals from the guys he's got. Um, but saying that, you know, I think 
seventh is a possibility if we can start stringing some wins together again. But for me, I'd say we're looking in that ninth to eleventh sort of area, probably. Um, and I'd even say maybe at this stage, if we finished eleventh, that'd be a bit disappointing. Oh, I agree. Eleventh's uh, ten points back on us now, so yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like we need to. We definitely need to be in the top ten. I completely agree, James. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you know every possibility. We've still got quite a comfortable cushion back tonight. So yeah, um, you know as long as we can. Just keep get some wins along, on the board and yeah, keep taking along. I we've think we've got every chance of finishing fixtures. the top seven. We've had some tough fixtures recently and you're not going to win all your games. So, you know, I, I think that's uh, they're really positive predictions. I can't believe that we're, we're talking about this. Yeah. Um, just before we wrap. Um, just, just, just worth mentioning, this is actually completing out, out of sequence, but okay. um, I just heard <laughs> that the, the referee from the Huddersfield game has been promoted to the, the FIFA list. Uh, what are you kidding interesting on the, on the back of that no I'm wow. not so there you go interesting La- but we'll get back on track now yeah no I'm glad you brought that in James because I'm sure all the listeners now will, uh, will will react to that breaking news with um, not a, a massive amount of, of, of pleasure I don't think I think there's going to be some shock there so listeners do make sure you tweet his reaction to James's groundbreaking news on the None and Ever podcast um, just before we do wrap things up I'd quite like to have a, a quick shout out please to Michael W whose Twitter handle is golfermike2 he tweeted us today to ask for some advice about where to sit um, he has just moved to the UK from the States and has absolutely loved the positivity and atmosphere around the team so wants to come to Turf Moor for the first time so Michael I just welcome to Turf Moor and um, I hope you enjoy it and I hope you become um, a lifelong claret. Um, that's everything else that we've got time for this week. Um, what can we say about 2017? We ended the year in just sublime form and we've had one of the best years as most Clarets fans have had in a very, very long time. And for, for most of a new generation of, of Clarets fans, the only thing that they've ever seen is is an absolutely brilliant, positive, well-performing, outstanding Burnley side. So listeners, it's been fantastic to have you for the last year and thank you again for supporting us and thank you for tuning in and listening every single week we couldn't produce this podcast without you and your support is always very 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 gratefully received we do hope you'll stick around for 2018 tell your friends about us share us on social media give us a review on itunes that always helps and just basically get on board and and obviously always tweet us and and let us know what your opinions are and if there's any discussion points we'd love to hear them um thanks again go to adam who's going to be producing this week's podcast and editing all of our um little bleeps out of there and james thank you as ever for joining me um that is all we have time for this has been the none and ever podcast i've been natalie bromley until next time first podcast of 2017 two games to go over and a new signing um, but Joey Barton's move um, that was on the cards that had already been trailed the club had said that they were going to do it again he won't want to stop up on goal difference he won't want to just come stop up by a point he'll want to finish up as title as possible and he'll really drive uh, drive the players on I think Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.